Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited. Uh, We've got Nick Elvery on the line. He is a peak performance coach who turns entrepreneurs into superhuman productivity machines. That sounds like a great intro. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you, Petra. Thanks ever so much for having me on. So exciting to have you on. Now, I always say to people that um, I I happen to interview the person that I most need to learn from on that day. It's a bizarre thing. It just sort of happens. And I'm reading your uh, sort of of intro there about entrepreneurs into superhuman productivity machines. And yesterday was the last day at my day job completely. So I jumped in with both feet fully into the the entrepreneur scene. So I'm very excited about this conversation. Um, Fill in some of the blanks for us. What are you most passionate about at the moment in in life work? So my main passion is figuring out what makes human beings tick. And that's been a passion of mine since I was quite young, probably about 15 or 16, when I first started reading Tony Robbins' books, like a lot of people do at that sort of time. And I'm not sure many people read him at 15, though. That's quite young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not, but yeah. you know, quite young. I think a lot of people do start with Tony's work when they start on that journey, sure. or at least it's been part of their journey. Absolutely. And um, yeah, so for me, it's it's really I'm just fascinated by the human experience. I'm fascinated by why we do things, and almost more importantly, why we don't do things a lot of the time. Mm. And you know that that's that for me has been as I say a passion for a long long time and it's been I sort of view myself and my life as one big experiment or lots of different experiments and through experimenting on myself and finding out what works for me enables me to really have a much greater understanding of when I work with my clients and, and helping them and you know obviously going through the journey of uh, from addiction as well which we'll obviously get into in this in this podcast has given me uh a different way of looking at things from, say, most people or a lot of people. And, yeah, I suppose I'm passionate just about why why humans do or don't do things and, and what, what strategies, tools, and things we can put in place to actually make our life easier and ultimately get the results that we want. Absolutely. And I love your perspective about how we experiment with different things. You know, just that perspective on life can be so refreshing rather than this is the set way of doing things, sort of a right or wrong. It's like, hey, let me experiment with what I'm learning, with what other people are showing me and what I think might, might support, uh, you know, my life experience. So, so give us some, some context just to your history. What was your, your childhood like, brother, brothers, sisters? I mean, do you think your, your parents or the education system kind of prepared you for the real world? I guess if they were giving you Tony Robbins books at 15, then maybe they did. But give us a bit of context. 
Uh, so yeah, my, no, my parents weren't really involved in sort of uh, handing me the knowledge from Tony Robbins. It was right. more of a sort of personal fascination rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, to answer your question around whether I think education and parents give you everything you need to learn about life, I, I don't know if it's even possible. I mean, I definitely think the education system um, it, it's got a long way to go with regards to teaching us actually what is useful in life. Um, you know, uh, just simply, we're not really educated around the important things like uh, how to sleep properly, how to deal with stress and why meditation is important and the nutrition and all these things that I, I preach and teach on a daily basis. Um, so, no, I, I would suggest that I would say that maybe the uh, where I came from has all been from, from reading books. And I'm, I'm an all-in type of guy. So when I get interested in a subject, I dive deep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a guy who listened to four-hour podcast on one particular subject and really get interested in that subject. So my, sort of my education, if you like, has been self-taught in a, in a lot of ways. Um, to give you some of the backstory about yes. who, the, where I've come from is – my childhood was a very, very normal childhood um, in a lot of ways. Very loving family, um, great relationship with my parents. And, uh, you know, there wasn't anything sort of, we didn't have any major hardships, uh, you know, in this traditional sense of the, the meaning. Um, what I have experienced throughout my life is early on, sort of from about 15 or 16, interestingly, the same time as I started picking up self-development books, was getting involved with drugs and alcohol at quite a young age. I started drinking when I was about 12, 13, and uh, back in those days, going to pubs at that sort of age with a fake ID was very, very straightforward. So it started off that way and sort of basically just tailed off uh, and got worse and worse over the years and eventually I spent over a decade effectively addicted to hard drugs and alcohol ending up with using crystal meth in Cambodia on my own and um, you know going to very dark places and very lonely places and alongside that having watched my father uh, decline and then eventually pass away with MS throughout my life and when I was younger it didn't really affect him or the family but as we grew up um, it became much more apparent and, and that illness sort of slowly takes your dignity away from you and strips your all humanity and, and, and sort of human functions away from you and you have to be looked after other, by other people so that sort of was the two main major things that were going on in my life watching my dad who I love dearly decline uh, through his life and going from someone who was incredible like, uh, just an amazing man to watching him not be able to fend for himself and then alongside um, go through the experiences I did with drugs and alcohol and um, yeah it's been it's been an interesting life and it's been about six years uh, that I've been free from drugs and alcohol now completely and uh, about the same sort of time as that my dad passed away which is an interesting um, mm. interesting sort of duality if you like between those two um, but we can get more into that I'm sure 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 so um, I knew the story would be interesting uh, I'm I'm nine years sober right uh, so, so that's uh, alcohol specifically. Thank you is is um, very personal uh, story for me. So I completely understand the 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 isolation and the trauma that can be self inflicted, but no less real than if it was inflicted from the outside. Now, for people who don't maybe understand addiction, you know, 
people often ask, well, why did you turn to that? There must be sort of a reason uh, rather than maybe just a, a genetic thing. Um, did it coincide with your dad's decline? Were you trying to escape from difficult emotions within drugs and alcohol? Because you're talking about a really good childhood. So, so talk us through what led you down that path. So what led me down that path was the classic smoking a cigarette with friends. And it was very much a sort of ego-driven environment of, you know, let's try this. Yeah, showing off. And that has always been a theme throughout. So it it didn't start with coinciding with what my dad was going through. Mm. But what my dad was going through as I grew up definitely became a part of it, i.e. adding to the escapism that the drugs provided for me and ultimately it was it was about it was a big you know that was a big part of it just being able to escape from life it's a there's no other there's no better way of being able to escape from life than doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot of alcohol so i think they ran in tandem maybe not right from the beginning um but uh, you know i interviewed someone recently on my podcast and we were talking about addiction because he's an addiction specialist as well and the similarities sort of came through and those similarities were the ego-driven um, showing off, being a class clown, which I always was, came into the picture quite readily from the beginning. And I think that was more the catalyst for driving me to be the one that could do the most and be seen to be, you know, the best at you know, taking drugs. Ironically, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it started there. And uh, the as my dad sort of grew you know, his illness got worse and worse, then I think um, that definitely played a part in, in cementing it, sort of keeping it going, if you like. And were there, did you have siblings? What was your relationship like with your mum? Like, were there other support networks or, or places you could go if things were difficult to talk things through? Or was that not sort of part of your conditioning, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I was always a very closed book. The idea of sharing any information about my past, I mean, having a conversation on a, on a you know, broad, a podcast that's going to be broadcast across the world would would have never even entered of course, my mind. Of course not. You know? um, so I, I was always a very closed book, and to the point where the first time I went to rehab, you know, I spent twelve weeks and I didn't say a single word in any of our sessions. You know, I just just refused to speak about anything that was close to me. So, to answer your question, support mechanisms and, and networks, not really. I didn't really ever share anything. You know, it was, um, yeah, I just lived my life separately from my family. Uh, you know, when, when it came to the drug side of things, and just never spoke to anyone about it. You know, if for all intents and purposes, life was great. Well, and it is the most wonderful escape for a little while there, you know, the, the, the illusion of belonging and um, fitting in and, you know, being somebody, even if it is the class clown or whatever it might be, is so in, intoxicating. Uh, and then it's sort of gradual that it becomes more of a problem. Um, so at what point, because I'm, I'm picturing the kid who's got a Tony Robbins book around the age of 15, right? But at the same time, and in, in sort of paradoxically, is having that first cigarette and is, um, you know, well into uh, drinking drugs and, and that sort of thing. So how are those two maybe coinciding? And at what point did you realize that this might be a problem? It's an interesting, it is an interesting parallel because, as you say, you know, I've had this interest in the human experience, nutrition, and everything that makes up a human being for a very long time. And at the same time, I've had this fascination 
or you know uh, indulgence in into the destructive nature of humanity as well like how where you can really take yourself what dark places you can take yourself both physically and mentally mm. so it is a it is an interesting parallel between the two um where the interest for how the human world came from i don't know um i think it's just the experiences i've had in life and my genetics my makeup like whatever however humans are built we all have our sort of passions and interests around certain things um so it, it's it's definitely an interesting parallel and it's kind of two sides of the same coin i guess it's yeah, like experimenting it's, on yourself and going what is it that other people do with their minds and bodies that allow them to live maybe a different life yeah i mean it's exactly it's almost polar opposites in a way and i'm very grateful for having both experiences you know it's taken me a little while to get to i can imagine <laughs> being able to say that but ultimately um i feel like i feel like in a lot of ways i've been put on this planet to go through this experience to be able to help other people and not necessarily help people just to get off with drugs but helping people be able to perform at a better level which is obviously what i do with my coaching and being able to see where it can lead from a from a negative side and what can be possible from a positive side it's given me a really nice um combination if you like um, and then, and I completely uh, resonate with that with me. But I, but I also know that um, in in the dark places, uh, you know, there is no fucking way that you would think uh, that there was any purpose to to the darkness that you're in, right? Um, or the yeah. gutter that you're in, or the random stranger's house that you're in, or the you know, um, there, there there seems to be no purpose. And I know for me, there was definitely a, a, a huge sort of victim mentality of you know the world has done to me, and therefore. You know, I have every right to and I'm justified in, in this sort of behavior. And then only realizing when, you know, I, I was in danger several times or, or the sort of rock bottoms, that kind of thing, that, oh, shit, is this how I want the, the rest of my life to be? So uh, a real story of adversity to advantage, which, of course, is the theme of the podcast. Um, I imagine you relate to to the terminology around rock bottom or, or crashes in some way. Um, have you had some of those? You know, how dark did it get for you? Yeah, I've had quite a few. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like one. I've had about eighty-two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've all come in different different forms and guises. Sure. Um, I suppose uh, one of the biggest was when I was in Cambodia. I spent three three and a bit months out in Cambodia, and I went out there on my own traveling, and that got quite dark with respects to starting to do drugs that I'd never done before, like crystal meth and hanging around with people that were um you know dealing those sorts of those sorts of drugs it just in a very it could have gone very very badly like that was a big turning point for me and it was only the fact that i ran out of money and i had to come home that that ended in the way it did because it quite quite possibly could have gone down a very different route um but with regards to other times it's it's the main thing is the internal dialogue mm. right so yeah. what one thinks of oneself i you know what i was thinking about how who i was what i was worth self-worth was just out of the window completely uh, there were points where i thought i was going mad i mean doing the amount of drugs that i did psychosis is a very real thing yeah and um you know there, there, there have been lots and lots of times when i've been laying up and up in bed 
I think you know people trying to break in, you know, break into the window, and you know, just just paranoia. things that, yeah, major paranoia, um, and just you know wanting to end my life on multiple occasions. Uh, yeah, it's just the dark, lonely place of of addiction, and it's interesting because what people see from the outside and what people see uh, from the inside are two, or what's going on on the inside, should I should say, is two very different things normally. And a lot of people would see a very bubbly, outgoing. Uh, lively personality because that was ultimately the mask that I put on yeah. uh, for people to see but you know actually experiencing what life was like from the inside it was a very very different picture um, so so true so true uh, you know people can can have such a different view of what life's like from the outside versus the inside but part of that is because we work pretty fucking hard to create that image of you know that we're still surviving and okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to t- talk us through, so, I mean, I completely resonate with the rock bottoms and, and what was the process of going, Hey, I need help. You talked about rehab. Um, did, did somebody highlight that the, this was a problem to you? Did it just get so low and you had enough sort of suicidal ideation or, or thoughts that you thought I've, I've got to figure this out? Like, how did you get onto the road of recovery? So I, tried giving up hundreds of times, you know, uh, over the years. And I knew it was a major problem for a long time. Um, sorry, did you, did you have like jobs or were you, or were you kind of, uh, you know, on the street? Like what was your actual circumstances? Cause people can have these addictions and still lead perfectly normal on the outside lives. Yeah. I mean, I've, I started work when I was about 17 or 18 and I've had, numerous jobs I and mean, keeping jobs uh, for a long period of time was, was hard work for me for all sure. these reasons um, I've run numerous businesses over the years uh, all of which failed because you know trying to run a successful business is hard enough as it on its own let alone trying to do it when you've got a major drug problem right. so um, I, I you know I joke that I've had every job under the sun from being a white van driver to IT to recruitment to sales and you know everything in between almost sure. because my, my stints within work were, were very short um, so that that's really how it happened with regards to how I got onto the road to recovery um, the first rehab was suggested by my parents and as I say I spent 12 weeks saying very well I'm saying virtually zero in, in our actual counseling session pretty much uh, as soon as I got out well the first day that I got out from those 12 weeks of rehab I started drinking straight away you know right. I, I wasn't ready and ultimately that's the most important part of wanting to change anything in your life whether it be addiction or anything else if you've got to want it internally so through that experience, uh, you know, going moving forward from that experience, drugging got worse and worse and worse. And it was only six years ago, this June, in fact, that I spoke to someone after doing some self-development courses. And what really struck home was how bad it really got, how much of an impact it was having on my life, the people in my life. And from that, that was the catalyst to wanting to take action. And then I actually... Um, went and saw uh, Peter Davies, who's a drug addiction specialist in uh, Guildford for addiction care. And he was the person and his team that basically got me back on the straight and narrow. I spent two weeks there 
Um, and it was the first three steps of the 12-step program, which I don't actually follow uh, anymore, but those three steps reported at home to me that, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't manage. I was out of my control and uh, stuff, you know, things needed to change. And from that moment on, um, you know, I didn't touch it or drink or uh, do any jobs ever again. So why was this time different than the hundreds of other times that, that you'd uh, tried to give up? It's a great question. And the simple answer is it, it needed to be done. I, in my head, I could see how bad it got. And it, it, addiction, I liken it to almost like a fog that surrounds mm. you and blocks you from being able to see the reality of life in many mm. ways, with it being either seeing the damage that you're doing to yourself both physically and mentally or the damage that you're doing to relationships and the people that you love and the conversations that I had through self-development and doing the you know the, the three first three steps of the 12-step program sort of removed lifted that veil of fog if you like to be able to see the harsh reality of what was going on so like I said sort of you know a little bit earlier in this conversation you've got to want to do it inside your head uh, and I see a lot of people these days, and I was there for a long time, saying, yeah, I want to give up. But actually, the real want inside wasn't, you know, that switch wasn't clicked. The, 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 you weren't able to see, or I wasn't able to see the true damage that was actually happening to my life. And we often need somebody to, to hold that mirror up. It's, it's a funny thing, because it's so different for all of us um, to see the impact on family and friends. It's almost like we don't want to believe that we are the source of some of that. Um, but when we can see it, uh, so many people don't ever get it, though. Um, so, it, so it's amazing when, when people do. So I'm curious um, about the 12-step the program. And of course, I'm super curious about the fact that you don't do 12 steps anymore because neither do I. And that's like sacrilegious to people who are in sort of the AAs and the NAs and, and all of that. Like that is the, the truth and the, the life and the only way, right? Um, it can be, yeah. It, it can be. And, and I have great gratitude to AA programs and the people within them for, for getting me on the road to recovery. I have mm. um, the, the dearest, deepest friendships with, with some people from, from the, that sort of time. Uh, just because I was at the lowest, darkest depths of horrific, you know, um, suicidal ideation and putting my kids in danger and, and, and that sort of thing. However, I've learned that there are other ways that we can look after ourselves uh, when we understand what's going on for us and learn to look after our minds as well as our bodies. So I'm curious about that um, recovery process for you, because I found the first few years into recovery probably the hardest of my life. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So here's what I'd say about the 12-step program. Whatever works for you is the best way. Yes, Right. do it. So, yeah, absolutely. I know lots of people who, to this day, after 12 years and more, spend time at AA and follow the 12-step program and do yeah. all the, the swear doctors. By and it. It, it swear by it and absolutely they get great things from it. Uh, and no doubt that it was the catalyst for me and the stepping stone, just like it sounds like it was for you, to getting on the road to recovery. So absolutely. I am incredibly grateful for it being there as an organization and as a structure. The, the reason I don't continue down the route of the 12-step, um, there's a few reasons, but one of the reasons, whenever you go to a meeting, the first thing that you say whenever you speak is, hi, my name's Nick, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. Yeah. Um, and for me, what you 
create yourself as in the moment and what future you're creating is very important. So if you're going into, the mindset is, right, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, and you're repeating that on a regular basis and telling yourself that I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict. For me, that didn't work because I don't view myself as an alcoholic or an addict anymore. I don't want to live in that that version of me. Mm. I live in a very different version of me. So moving forward, um, it didn't didn't work for me to be re, reprogramming my brain to reconfirming that that was the problem that I had. Um, and, it, you know, who you spend time with is incredibly, incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, it just didn't work for me moving forward. You know, I, I actually got much greater um, self-awareness, which I think a lot of the, the uh, progress that one can make through addiction and through life in general comes from. Uh, through self-development courses, through books, through other people and experiences and that side of things. So it's been a constant development. It wasn't a case of doing the first three steps and then everything was rosy. And, and of course. I didn't, didn't need to do any sort of um, self-work moving forward. Quite the opposite. Um, you know, I, every day I spend time doing work on myself in one way or another. Uh, meditation has played a huge part, especially over the last year. Doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's uh, meditations have played a very pivotal role in. What's it done for you? Dr. Joe Dispenza's work um, has rewired my brain in a lot of ways, has given me a much more positive internal dialogue, which is critical. Mm. And it's enabled me to uh, deal with stressful situations way better. So. I think meditation really should be taught, one of those subjects should be taught at school from a very young age. Um, the benefits are untold. Uh, you know, I meditate for an hour every day. Uh, for an hour? Been, yes, I know. I know it sounds crazy. Um, no, it, um, sound, well, it sounds incredible because I feel like that's the, the most challenging thing to do for an addict or an alcoholic is to get out of your head, right, and mm-hmm. into your body and connecting with the present so that you can actually connect with people in a healthy sort of way. Um, I still yeah. can, can't, can't do that sort of long. But anyway, everybody's journey is, is personal, right, and their own. So um, incredible that that's the practice that you've uh, incorporated in order to keep you uh, sort of on your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, diet is absolutely critical, for example. I mean, the biggest thing I had a problem with after giving up was giving up sugar, you know. And uh, recently I slipped back into um, some habits around sugar, which was a, a wonderful reminder, a stark awakening of how how important it is to be eating, uh, you know, a diet with real food and and you know, what difference that makes to internal dialogues, to anxiety levels, to stress levels, to energy levels, to all sorts of things, which is why, you know, it's such an important aspect within within my coaching, for sure. Please, um, please, I've got to pause you because I said I always learn the thing I need to learn. And sugar is one of the things at the moment as I change my career again and evolve again, um, that is sort of the secret shame thing that every once in a while I'll turn to. Um, yeah. So how did you give up sugar? And this is me just on a personal curiosity rampage. Um, well, recently, I mean, I've got a Facebook group, which is a part of a paid community, um, which we do monthly challenges. And uh, basically, we did a 10-day sugar detox, which um, with a friend of mine, Laura Bolton, who's an incredible woman, uh, who's got 
incredible knowledge around sugar and detoxing from it and all those sorts of things, we formulated a plan. So I think, like anything, when you want to give up, being part of a strong community of people that are on the same journey is yeah. incredibly important. Having that support structure is incredibly important. And then having um, guidance around what you can and can't do and having recipes in place. You know, like anything, it's about having a look at the situation, having a look at the pitfalls, the things that cause the problems, i.e., you know, snacking or what to eat when you go out or, you know, whatever it is for that particular thing that you're trying to deal with. And then putting strategies in place to sort of plug those holes to give you the best chance to survive. Uh, you know, to, to, to you know, work through the initial period because it's 10 days that sugar really, uh, you want to try and get it out of your system. And the, the problem is it's everywhere, right? Yeah, the exactly. Nutrition. And in everything um, almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's challenging. It is, it's one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you have a brain that's wired to... Uh, be, you know, to enjoy the addictive tendencies and the yep. immune fixes you get from it. So, because I guess the tricky thing is always um, things that you need balance with. At least for me. So, um, when I gave up alcohol and and put some other things in place, it's like I got rid of the inner dialogue of uh, okay, I'm going to the pub with some mates. Should I? Shouldn't I? How much? What kind? You know, that whole back and forth, back and forth, and then inevitably, with a little bit of peer pressure, you go back in, right? Um, but with something like sugar, occasionally I find it healthy and nice to have a lovely dessert after a meal, right? Um, And so it's thinking, okay, but that means that I can't just um, shut off the inner dialogue completely uh, and just never consider it. Occasionally I want to consider it. So it becomes like I've got to uh, create the balance rather than just the black and white, I don't do that anymore kind of thinking. So it's It's like, do you have to give it up completely? It's a really interesting conversation and one that has been bouncing around my brain very recently, actually. Um, you know, do do I have the same approach to drugs as I do to sugar, mm. i.e., as you say, zero tolerance and yeah. going down that route? Um, and actually, in some ways, my brain is telling me that maybe I should go down that route because ultimately like we said at the beginning of this conversation before we, before we pressed record, you know, one of the key things that I'm very uh, sure on is I need to practice what I preach. Yeah. I don't want to be someone who um, says, yeah, you need to not eat sugar or you need to do this or that or, you know, whatever advice that I'm giving at the time, but then secretly behind closed doors, I'm doing it myself. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and as I say, I always put my hand up and say, do you know what? I'm not following my advice at the moment and I have fallen off the wagon so to speak it's sugar recently was one of those things for me and instead of trying to hide that from people uh you know within the group with the staff of the detox challenge say look hands up I'm you know I have recently slipped on some of the habits um and I'm, and I'm now dealing with it and I think it's really important to have that transparency um because I see it a lot these days with people sort of it just it, it comes across incongruent because they're saying one thing, but actually, you know, doing a little bit of digging and they're doing something quite different. People can see um, right through it. I think so. I think most people can. Yeah. So um, to answer your question, I don't know is the answer whether yeah. sugar Damn it. should be. You know what I mean? I don't know whether there is black and white. All I do know is that I am way happier, more productive, have much more energy, have a better inner dialogue, and all the things that come with it when I'm. Uh, away from eating rubbish food, um, and I know that, th- I know those things about myself too. You know, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, actually, out of all the things that are addictive, and some people find it very easy to pick up and put down sugar, but it's the same with drugs and alcohol as well. But if you're someone that does have difficulty with it, um, 
it's because it's not there's no stigma attached to it really it's not exactly. like you're smoking a cigarette in front of someone and wafting smoke in front of their face no. when you're eating a dessert you know it's it's accepted it's normal in actual fact if you say no to a dessert a lot of the times it's sort of people are looking at you saying oh why not and then there's, then there's that sort of classic peer pressure uh you know conversation again so Always. i think the problem with it yeah the problem with it is it's just it's everywhere it's all pervasive and um you know it's normal and I think it can be that scarcity mindset for me where I'm like, well, I've already had to give up alcohol to keep people safe and to stay alive, you know. Do I also, like, surely I can treat myself with sugar from time to time, right? Because it's yeah. less sort of dangerous on the outside. Um, and I think that's a mindset shift that I, I want to make is very much, you know, what are all the benefits that you just described of giving up sugar? It's about how can I think clearly how can I you know have less anxiety be more confident live my purpose like coming at it from that place um it feels more like it's about success achievement uh mental health well-being all that sort of stuff that then you're looking at the gains rather than the losses absolutely and you know like I alluded to earlier in the conversation it's about finding strategies to better help combat with these certain situations so for example, um, within the community that I've created, uh, I'm going to be doing a whole lot of live cookery videos and tips and tricks and strategies around sugar and Ooh, having a, you know, a normal diet. Well, not normal diet, but a normal diet compared to what most people have normally. Yeah, um, <laughs> a healthy diet. Yeah, exactly. So, it, again, it's, it's, it's finding those strategies. You Like, for example, Laura, my friend, has uh, a grain-free, sugar-free, um, dairy-free carrot cake which is supposed to be delicious i've still yet to try it but do you see what i mean there's, yeah. there's loads of options out there so rather than having uh an option which is just for a sugar and it's going to cause all sorts of biological and mental problems you can have something else uh, instead so i'm really looking forward to launching that part of the community and getting um just ready for myself if anything else I know, right? I wanna, I wanna, <laughs> this is ultimately everything i do is about me yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's about you know this, this experiment on nick elvery and where can i take myself and, and then it's about sharing that information with my clients and the people in the community and you know the people around me 100 um, percent. i have yeah. these conversations because i'm fascinated about what people do to look after themselves and what they've gone through and how they achieve now and i learned something from it uh, and and hopefully other people um do as well what other uh, routines or habits do you try to put in your life to allow yourself to be as successful and productive as you are? Oh, lots. Okay. Um, so, Give us a flavor. Uh, so it's snowing in the UK right now. Yes, it is. Um, so cold thermogenesis is something that I've been doing a lot of experimentation with recently, and that simply means exposing yourself to, yourself to cold environments, whether that's a short cold shower uh, an ice bath, standing out with little clothing in snowy or cold weather. Are you the one outside in your pants right now? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, there is a picture of me on Facebook somewhere that would be uh, doing that. But uh, yeah, so cold thermogenesis, having some exposure to cold every day is a really, yeah, a really, really good thing. And that can that could easily be in the form of a, a cold shower at the end of a warm shower. Um, Why is it good? What does it do for you? Very good for immune system. Uh, very good for uh, it's just so I, I look at a body as uh, an electromagnet is effectively what a human being is, right? Yeah. And having exposure to cold, just like a, a magnet, it gets more efficient when it gets cold. That's the sort of way I view it, at least. And um, cold, light are two things, and I'll get onto the light in a minute, which are really not looked at very much, or at least people are starting to look at, but there's huge benefits from it. 
Um, without getting into too much geeky technical side of things, um, exposing yourself to cold, having the right sort of light. So I use red light therapy in the morning for 10 minutes. So I use um, a specific type of red light, which is very good for your skin. But it's also good for firing up the mitochondria. So just like cold thermogenesis, the mitochondria are basically bacteria in your body which help produce power they create something called atp which is what gives us energy okay so doing these things like cold exposure red light therapy um, eating the right sorts of diet all have a very positive impact if done correctly on the mitochondria and the energy systems within your body okay um so I do a lot of that. I do um, red light therapy. I do that. I do an hour's meditation. I've actually switched to doing an hour's meditation in the evening. Um, just, again, experimentation to see uh, what works best for me. But I used to do that in the morning. So meditation, red light. I'm a massive fan of Bulletproof Coffee, which is... Oh, uh, I know it well. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh, great. Explain. Okay. But explain for our listeners because they probably don't. So it sounds like the most bizarre thing ever, but effectively it's coffee, butter, and for all intents and purposes, coconut oil. All it does up. sound horrific. It sounds horrific, but it's absolutely delicious. If you're someone who likes a latte or something like that yeah. as normal coffee, then it's, it's amazing. But the beautiful thing is it's one of the things that I think works very well for dealing with sugar is to increase your fat content within your food. And this is a really good way of doing that first thing in the morning. And it, it turns the brain on. It helps the hormones start to balance back out. It, it, it's just and you incredible. don't get the shakes like you do with too much coffee. Exactly. Which is yeah. insane. But, but for listeners, they're like, what the hell are you thinking? You're putting butter in your body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a conversation again because, you know, some people think dairy is a disaster and actually milk can be considered a disaster. So, I mean, that's a different conversation altogether. But I would just say, look, try it. If you're not, if you're someone that doesn't uh, have an, if, an issue with dairy, obviously, if you have an issue with dairy, which actually quite a lot of people do these days, then obviously that's not the way to do it. And you can just have it with coconut oil if you like. Um, or almond milk or something. There are loads of different variations of it. But I would say just suck it and see. Have a go with it because it's it's a game changer. It's so easy to make and it sets you up after for the day. Bulletproof coffee. Okay, what else? Mm, so uh, reading is a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually go in stages and cycles with it. Sometimes I'm, I'm really keen on, on doing it every day and then sometimes I'm not. But I'm just looking at my bookshelf in front of me and it's got all sorts of books ranging from personal development, NLP, to how to sleep better, uh, autobiographies. I love I reading love autobiography, about, yeah. Yeah, I love reading about people that have just created incredible lives and being inspired by that. Um, one of my favourites, actually, is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. I don't know why, but that was uh, <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so, so, yeah. Um, so, old school reading. Old school reading. I don't like a Kindle. I like <laughs> a real book. What about an audio book? Uh, I love an audiobook. So I'll be listening to podcasts every day, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so when I'm standing in front of my LED, uh, red light therapy device, I will be uh, listening to podcasts then. Whenever I'm in the car, if I'm not listening to music, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, and so what, and what, I'm, what I'm hearing is that you have things, that, you know, routines that you put in place to replace maybe negative dialogue that used to be there 
with education, with uh, positive dialogue, with new information, with ideas for experimenting, so that you're consciously making an effort to replace what is in your, your brain and your body with the, the kind of unconscious state that you were in before. Hundred percent, and that's and that's effectively what it's all about in my yeah. work. Right. So, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about we have anywhere between fifty and eighty thousand thoughts a day. Okay, and the majority of those thoughts are the same as yesterday, yeah. which tells me that it's if on you a believe, cycle. yeah, exactly. So, if you believe that your thoughts create your reality, which I do, then what you're what you're saying is. Um, it's just going to continue and expecting any, any form of change within your life, any dramatic change, is not going to happen if you're just thinking the same things and having the same conversations in your head and being the same way as you were yesterday. It's so, just so simple if you think about it. It is so simple, but the problem is these thought processes, habits, behaviours, uh, the connections in our brain, which fundamentally is what it's all about, have been practiced over and over and over and over again subconsciously without any awareness to it most of the time. And to actually depict those and create a new way of being takes constant, yeah, it's consistent practice, which is why I've got the word consistency taped on my shelf in front of my face every day um, because it's one of my favorite words, that tenacity. So, it's about, it's like when you go to the gym, you don't just go to the gym, lift one weight and get a hench. You know, you have to go in day after day or at least consistently, you know, each week to to get the results that you want. And it's Especially the same if you're with training for like a fight or a, or a big event or a, a marathon or a race, like you've got to train six Absolutely. months a year beforehand. That's the kind of level of sustained focus that somebody needs. So translating Absolutely. that to your, your mindset, that's the, how we've got to look at it. It's a beautiful way of looking at it, and that's exactly it. It is you're training for something. You're training your brain to react in a different way, to react to stressful situations in a different way, and that's one of the big things that's changed for me over the years. It's still not perfect. It's a work in progress for sure, but being able to firstly be aware of what's going on. Without awareness, nothing can change. When you're aware of what the current patterns are, then you can say, right, well, actually, do I want to have that pattern or do I want to change uh, change it for something else? And once you understand what it is that you want to create moving forward, then it's a case of looking at the habit loops that happen, being aware of when those conversations or things happen in your brain, and then putting a stop to it right then and there, and then putting a new, a new cassette in. I think I liken it to... When we grow up, we have like a, a cassette in our mind that the, the record button has been pressed. And in our early years of our life, through experiences and things that people that we model and things that we like and dislike and all the things that happen to us, it's recording and recording and recording. And then as we get into our um, later on in our life, that starts to stop recording so much and starts to play just on repeat over and over and over again. And effectively what I've done with my life and what you've done with yours and what I've worked with my clients is to say, right, well, let's have a little look at that tape. Let's have a little listen to what's actually on that tape right now mm-hmm. and then decide, well, do I actually want some of that? Because some of it might be really beneficial and really positive. And then having a look at, well, what else do I actually want to remove or put in, in place? And then it's you know through meditation through subconscious training and all the other things that i teach it's about reprogramming that and that takes time and that's where the difficulty lies because it's huge change is easy in the idea of it like what you have to do right. is theoretically 
Yeah, the theory of it is you just have to, just like the theory of giving up drugs is easy. It's just so you just simple. have to make sure just put that it you down. Don't, <laughs> yeah, just don't ever take a drug again. Yeah. Just one thing that you've got to do, right? Simple. It's really easy in, in in theory, but the practice is hard because it takes dedication, it takes commitment, which because is why you you've got to face up to difficult situations that you used to numb out or escape from. And that's Absolutely. fucking hard because life has challenges and you can't just run away from them anymore. And that takes sustained, you know, bravery and courage training in order to face up to it. That's like the flip side of just giving up the alcohol is that now you have no skin and you feel everything like times yeah. 10, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's it. And that's why when I work with clients, I always ask them a series of questions before we even, uh, you know, start working with each other. And one of the questions is like, why, why do you want this? <laughs> why what, the fuck are what, you here? <laughs> yeah, like what do you want to achieve and why? Why is it important to you? And when you start digging a little bit deeper, a lot of the times it's superficial. Like when I used to run a weight loss business, for example, a lot of the times they say, well, why do you want to lose weight? And it, what people would normally say, the first two, one or two answers is not normally what's really going on. It's normally a bit deeper than that. Yeah. And it's only when you get to that deep, you know, deeper understanding that you understand whether someone's truly committed or not. Now, um, I want to pause you because uh, we've, we've focused a bit on the addiction and the recovery, but there's this other thread of, you know, uh, losing your father, watching him deteriorate and just the timeline around him passing away, I think you said, and that being, was it a catalyst or, or just coincidental that that was the time that you began your recovery journey? I'm just curious about what that period of time was like. Yeah, so... Um it was really hard the whole experience. And I throughout my um, throughout my addiction, I spent a lot of time at home. And obviously, I moved out and went to live in other places, and I've travelled the world, and I've done other things. But actually, I spent more time at home than most people did and do. Right. Yeah. So um, it for me, I was very much in that environment, and it wasn't just watching my dad go through what he did. It's watching the effect it had on my family and my mum specifically. Of course. And that's what really got to me was not only watching my dad, who was incredible. He was a top salesman in the world for what he did. Yeah. He uh, was an electrical engineer. He, you know, almost single-handedly built our first house, did all the wiring and plumbing. He was just a, a really incredible guy. Like, like me, he was just fascinated with how things worked. His was more about how... Um, mechanical sort of and electrical things work. Yeah. yeah, rather than, um, I mean, I still have some of that side to me, but I'm more sort of uh, in tune with the humanity side of things. So, watching him go from being that person to literally not being able to fend for himself was difficult enough as it is, but then watching the stress that would pile onto my mom and seeing the fact that her life had to change, you know, just like people say when you have a child, which I haven't had yet, but when you have a child, your whole life changes and you devote your entire time and life to them. It felt very much like that. You know, my mum's life, her social life and my dad's for that matter, uh, almost disappeared. And, you know, it was it was just a case of spending time looking after looking after dad and my mum devoting. We were very lucky in respect that we had nurses to help us with certain aspects of it, um, which was incredible. And I'm very, very grateful for, but still didn't take away the stress of watching, you know, my dad and ultimately my mum's husband uh, deteriorate and then eventually pass away. 
Um, I mean, credit to my dad, he had a sense of humour to the last day that he, you know, he was with us, um, and the strength that he, you know, that he showed and demonstrated throughout the, the period of time of what he went through. I don't know if I would ever be able to um, manage it quite like he did. But there was something about noticing what your mum was going through, through that pain, um, and that I guess you may have been causing her pain simultaneously through your, your addictive uh, patterns and, and behaviours? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that I've reflected on over the years uh, often, as you can probably appreciate, the fact that, you know, she was going through all of the stress that she had with my dad and with me on top, um, she went through her own personal health challenges as well, you know, so it's been a trying time and I have the greatest respect for my mother ever, you know, what she has been through and how she carries, carries herself these days uh, and throughout the whole time. It's just total testament to her character and what she, you know, what she's managed to achieve and who she is. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I think that was one of the hardest parts for me to get over was the fact that, um, how much of an idiot I was and how much pain I caused, you know, her, um, over the years. And that's obviously conversations that her and I have had, um, subsequently giving up everything and, um, put a lot of that to bed. And actually our relationship is the best it's ever been. Now. I bet she's pretty proud of you. Yeah, very much. Um, and I can't imagine what it's like to be going through recovery and grief at the same time talking about your skin being removed and and feeling everything and needing to face up to yourself and the world as well as the the sort of pain of of losing your dad it sounds unimaginable yeah yeah it was it was um it was challenging i mean it's the hardest thing i've ever done undoubtedly um and yeah going through through all of that um, watching my dad you know deteriorate and then eventually pass away at the same time was was hard work um, I mean it, I can't imagine what it was like for mum as well you know um, she must have gone through the horrific losing her husband and then because I mean, when you come out of addiction it's not just a uh, you know, everything right. We've just given up drugs and alcohol. Everything's rosy. No uh, far from it. You know, no. you then have you to. You realize how shit your life say. is that you have to build it up from like <laughs> the depths of nothing. You know, and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Other people have built a life. I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. Which was one of the which was one of the hard things to come across because I'm a very driven guy, and you know, I had all these big aspirations for what I wanted to achieve in my life. And coming out of 12 years of or thereabouts worth of addiction and watching loads of other people either having built businesses or got families or, you know, in the career that they're enjoying or whatever it was, that was actually quite hard for me because I, you know, I've tried to build five to six businesses throughout that period of addiction and all of them failed. Um, so yeah. coming out the other side of that and sort of watching everyone else's, what theory, what looked like everyone else's lives looking great. And then, you know, me almost starting not only from zero to Scott, well, almost felt like sort of minus 10. Yeah, minus side. 10, yeah. <laughs> um, do, do you think you would have gotten clean and sober if, you're, if your dad wasn't ill? That's an interesting question that I've never been asked. Do I think that I would have got clean and sober if my dad had never been ill? Like, would you have needed to? I don't know. That's a great question. One that's definitely going to be thought about after this podcast. Um, 
That's a great question. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, okay. I said to her, <laughs> yeah, I think my dad's illness was definitely, or, or I let's put it this way, I used my dad's illness as an excuse to do more drugs and get deeper into that world. It's probably sure. a more a fair way of putting it, rather than saying it caused me to, you know, it's important to take responsibility and ownership of things in our lives. Um, I don't know is the answer, but thank you for that question because it's something that I'm definitely going to have a think about for sure. And I guess it's my curiosity around whether the adversity that we do face outside of us or internally can actually be the gift, you know, be the blessing that allows us to achieve and create the ripple effect of impact on so many people's lives. As you said at the beginning, being even grateful for, for your, your addiction and for some of the things that you've gone through. And that seems like an important piece of the puzzle. Nick, I feel like we could talk all day. This is fascinating. Um, if people want to, to work with you or connect with you, where can they find you? So there's two places. Um, head over to nickelbury.com. That gives you a little bit more of an insight into my private coaching practice. Say I work with entrepreneurs. Um, so if you do want to have a conversation with me, I do 60-minute, free 60-minute calls uh, with people. So you can just go to nickelbury.com and click book a call and choose a date that works for you. And we can have a conversation around uh, whether we're a suitable fit. Um, but I've also got the Daily Habits podcast, which I'm really enjoying, uh, which is basically uh, dailyhabits.co.uk. Just head over there and you can see the current episodes that I have. And... The, the other thing is the community, the empowered entrepreneurs community that I'm creating at the moment. Um, as I said to you a little bit earlier in the call, it's about really imparting the knowledge that I've learned over the years from biohacking and all the stuff that we talk about, you know, rituals and nutrition, you know, exercise and all those things, and putting it in a format that helps people uh, in a community you know, um, setting. So uh, we're doing we do monthly challenges as I said to you earlier you know, we do the sugar detox one at the moment and um, there's a whole plethora of other things so if you are interested in that head over to dailyhabits.co.uk and there's a little um, little icon that says the empowered entrepreneurs and that'll take you to a page to give you more information it's um, you can try it for 30 days for a pound and if it's your thing it's 30 pounds a month thereafter and if it's not then there's no contract or commitment you can just um, say it's not your thing and leave so entirely up to you sounds uh, amazing there is literally nothing like community to help you change a habit uh, I think the power of any kind of support groups around addiction is the community element the accountability element of, of other people being in a similar situation but looking after you I will be subscribing to that podcast today immediately um, love it and we'll add all of those sort of links into the, the notes from the, the podcast. Nick, thank you so much for being so so open, for your bravery. Uh, I love stories like this because I resonate with them so much and I know how, like I can feel how hard the journey was even though you're at the top of your game, it sounds like right now. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Petra, for having me on. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.